So as you've heard these scriptures, you might say, well, darkness is all bad. Darkness is equated with sin. Don't want to have anything to do with darkness. I want to claim at the outset that there are gifts waiting for us in darkness. I want to lift up darkness. Maybe it's a place where we meet God. So I I begin with uh, some information from the National Sleep Foundation. If you want to go to sleep easily, well, deeply, turn off the TV, turn off the computer, get away from the cell phone, anything that has one of those screens and the light that hitting your eyes at least 30 minutes before you go to sleep, do that so you can go to sleep, all right? If you want to sleep deeply through the night, it's best to have the room as dark as possible. Get by with as little night lights as you can possibly do, all right? And and you're welcome, all right, for this public service announcement here. I, I really want you to sleep well. Your best rest comes in darkness. There's a gift for you in darkness. I have a bunch of profound things to say and some wonderful quotes, but I want to begin with a very light quote, all right? So as I was doing research for this, so here's the first quote. This was from Groucho Marx. Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Anyhow, that's that's just to get you laughing a little bit. So here's here's a more more profound uh, quote from Helen Keller. Walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. You may remember that Helen Keller was, was blind. So uh, behind all these sermons this season is a book called An Altar in the World, written by Barbara Brown Taylor. And she has a great story in the front of the book about walking in the dark with a friend. She and her husband, Ed, We're at a retreat site in North Carolina, and and like churches do, there's wonderful rustic cabins, and there's a a great speaker that comes in. It was Desmond Tutu, and uh, so after the lecture, (laughs) uh, she and her husband, instead of going back to the rustic cabin or enjoying some libations with friends, they went on a walk around the lake in the dark, and they crossed the dam, and it they came to this pathway, and they both knew the pathway, but, and there was a little bit of moonlight, but at the start of this pathway that looked like a big O opens up, it was laurel trees, and it formed just a, a, a covering over them. You've, you've done those paths before, right? That, that you're just encircled by the trees, and so they started walking, and uh, uh, Ed says, do you want to do this? And she says, it's really dark, and he said, let's do it, and let's try it. And so they both started walking in the dark, and very soon they were walking very, very slowly. And they were walking not so much by sight as by feel. And, and have you ever done this at, at, at night? And, and it's, it's like you can almost hear <laughs> the trees around you, and, and they could almost feel them. And, and then they got so good at it, they said, let's close our eyes. <laughs> yes. And they started walking in the dark, and then they, they would take turns, and, and Ed would lead, and then Barbara would lead, and they would take hold of an elbow, and 
they said it was sort of a metaphor for faith, that we were walking not by sight, but by faith. We were trusting in one another. What did Helen Keller say? It's uh, better to walk in the dark with a friend than walking alone in the light. This series of sermons is about uh, an altar in the world, about encountering the presence of God in the everyday and the ordinary, that the presence of God can just erupt anywhere, anytime, and all kinds of, of places. I would love for you to think at this moment about an altar in the world. Some friend that you trust, who has maybe helped you walk, not by sight, but by faith, who has helped you to walk in the dark. And maybe at the same time, you could think about someone who has trusted you, who has taken you by the elbow, and you have led them through dark places. And, and what a gift that is, both sides of that relationship, to trust someone and to be trusted to walk in the dark, to claim that as an altar in the world. There's another author I, I really like a lot. His name is Frederick Beekner. And he wrote a, a little book called Whistling in the Dark. Uh, it was writing out theological terms in ordinary, in everyday language. And he said, whistling in the dark, that was a metaphor for faith for him. He said, so many times we are in the dark, but we keep moving ahead, right? We, we keep walking and, and we whistle while we walk. Aren't we in the dark a lot of our lives? Um, I wonder how my kids are going to turn out. <laughs> um, boy, we're waiting on that test from the lab about this medical condition. How about my job? How about the election? Whoa. <laughs> Just come through two uh, national conventions here. Aren't we in the dark just a lot of the time? I'm wondering if that cannot be an altar in the world, a place where we bow down and say, God, I'm in the dark, <laughs> yet I'm whistling, I'm, I'm walking here with you, uh, I'm, I'm trusting you. Here's, here's another great quote I came across this past week from Mary Oliver, and she she woke up one night, she's a poet, and she wrote down these little lines, and she called the name of the poem, Uses of Sorrow. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this, too, was a gift. Is this not a universal experience? That you know something about sorrow, you know something about that box of darkness. I'm wondering, can this become an altar in the world? Wake up this morning to a balloon accident just south of uh, Austin near Lockhart. 16 people. Wow. Balloon hits a power line and uh, all 16 are lost. Pastor Lisa tells me, did you see about the shooting last night in the dark? 215 on 6th Street and one person killed, three injured and... 
add this to what? Bombings and... Uh, seems like some people saying police targeting black people and then some people saying police being targeted and assassinated because they're police and it just the craziness goes on and on and then there's personal deaths that we've experienced like pastor lisa was just saying in our pastoral prayer our prayers of the people here that yes people we love parents friends co-workers uh, who die, and, and there's a hole in our heart. There's a box of darkness that's been given us. I'm wondering if we can claim that even as a gift, as an altar in this world to say, I love so much that it hurts. <laughs> and it's causing me to go deeper in my relationship with, with Christ. Maybe that's your altar this day to... Uh, Hold up your grief before God. I have another quote from uh, this one from Mark Twain. Everyone is a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. In psychology, Carl Jung talks about our shadow aspects. Uh, and, and you know this to be true. There's places you don't want anybody to go. You don't even want to go. And we try to keep hidden from other people, sometimes even ourselves. Maybe in worship today, something's bubbling up for you. That dark side is being revealed just a little bit. And you may be even led to a place of confession. Uh, what did it say in the First John letter there? Uh, we can't pretend that there's not darkness in us. We pause and just reflect about that shadow side in us, part we want to keep hidden. I have one more good quote here from Og Mandino. I will love the light for it shows me the way, yet I will endure the darkness for it shows me the stars. Boy, that rings true for me. I love going out in West Texas, <laughs> out there to the McDonald Observatory, where they have all of these laws about uh, keeping the lights down and off. And uh, now they've been griping about the, the oil boom out there, and shale and all that stuff, and the lights that are just, seem like so far away, but they're causing them to get that night blindness there. But need the darkness in order to see... The stars. I'm wondering, can this be an altar in the world for us? That there are glimmers of light even in the midst of our darkness. So I had a, a great email this past week that uh, kind of speaks to this point. And Allison said that I could share this email with you today. So um, here it goes. Hi, Pastor Lynn. I hope you're doing well. Smiley face emoticon. <clears throat> I wanted to talk with you about something that's been on my mind and heart lately. The Black Lives Matter movement and the recent racial tensions have me educating myself on just how uneducated I am about what black people experience and face every day in our country. 
A good friend of mine in Pittsburgh adopted two boys from Ethiopia. She has been especially good about posting thought-provoking articles on Facebook. I wrote to her and asked her what I could do to further educate myself and make myself more of a safe place, as referenced in one of her postings, for children like her son's. She mentioned that I should get together with some of my black mom friends and ask them that same question over coffee and then live their advice. I'm sad to say that I do not have many black mom friends. I'm further saddened to say that I have zero friends in Austin who are black. That's not outright by choice. I know of no black people in my neighborhood. I experience no black people at our church. I do not work in the places I tend to go. I don't run into anyone who is black. I think it would be highly inappropriate to seek out a stranger in some place like East Austin and say, hey, I wish I had black friends. Would you be my friend? So I've been reflecting on how I could engage with and meet people who are black in a more respectful manner. And last night I wondered, oh, that got me just now, last night, I wondered what it would be like to start up a dialogue with a more traditionally black Methodist church. Maybe we could have a group from our congregation to go worship at their church, and they could have some of their congregants come to worship with us. Maybe we could devote some Sunday school classes to discussing race relationships and how we could all better understand and support each other. Just a thought. I might be overstepping bounds here, but I thought I would bring my thinking to you. Thanks, Allison. In the midst of the darkness, I saw the stars just a little bit. And there was an altar in the world that came right there in this this email. I told Allison that she might want to get involved with Parker Lane United Methodist Church in a couple weeks on that Saturday morning from 9 to noon, because Parker Lane is multi-ethnic. I told her about Wesley United Methodist Church in East Austin, where Sylvester Chase, a classmate of mine, we were ordained together as the pastor. And and Sylvester, he's been talking to me, he said, I have all these white folks coming to my congregation, or, or not to my congregation. He said, I have all these white folks moving into our neighborhood. It's gentrified. He said, I, and we don't know how to do anything with these folks. We don't know how to reach out to them. We need each other. I saw, I saw little pinpricks of light, little stars uh, coming out. Just, just an email, uh, an altar in this world. I, I don't know what Christ is putting on, on your heart at this moment, but uh, I'm encouraged by things like this. What, what are you called to do? What is the altar in the world that, that Christ is calling you to? I like what the scripture in 1 John says, that when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That is what Christ intends for us. You thought I was going to let that Exodus passage go by. I'm not. <laughs> Every week we've had this tent up here, and it's to illustrate that um, God once upon a time said, uh, build me a tabernacle. Uh, Hebrew children, as you're crossing the wilderness, I want to go with you. So make me a mobile worship center so that wherever you go, I can go with you. And inside that worship center, it was dark. They had all of these curtains up. 
So what did they, what did God say to Moses? I want you to make me lampstand. You know what the word for lampstand in Hebrew is? You know this word. It's menorah. Menorah. And the menorah was in the tabernacle. It, what does it say? It had a great quote here, to give light on the space in front of it. That is what we're called to do. <laughs> Put light just a little bit out there in the space in, in front of us. How important was it? Did you hear all of the detail, the elaborate? You, you really read, read well, Wesley. All the elaborate detail of those lampstands in the tabernacle. God says, this is important. I want you to do this right. And what have we been doing ever since we've been worshiping? We've had acolytes come, and what do they do? You bet. We light the candles, right? You bring the light into the world, yes, and into worship. And then what do we do? You take the light out. Yes, because we are called to take the light out into the world. Jesus, in John's gospel, says, I am the light of the world. But Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, said, y'all are the light of the world. It's both and. That's what we're called to do, to make an altar in this world, to carry the light of Christ out into the world. The good news I have to share with you this day is this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen.